I had a guy, older gentleman, he did something, he twisted or turned, could not stand up correctly because of his back. He walked into the clinic, bent over, hand on his back and told me, I'm in excruciating pain. I can't stand up. And literally within minutes, I went through this process with him. He would try anything. And he got up and he was so excited. He kicked his leg up in the air, bent over. I mean, he was ready to do a little jig. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host. And I want to talk with you today about something that we all experience from time to time, sometimes more often than we would like. And also, many of us feel that we have no control over it. I'm talking about stress and pain. I'm sure you've heard that stress is the number one killer. So I can imagine that our pain and our stress might have some relation to each other, which is definitely something I want to ask my guest today. Her name is Dr. Amy Novotny. And she helps high-profile entrepreneurs, business owners, physicians, and those in chronic pain or mental trauma alleviate pain, stress, anxiety, sleep deprivation, and the need for medications. She has discovered and developed a method called Pain Awareness Breathing Relief, or PABR for short, which Dr. Novotny defines as a method that is a holistic approach to restoring the body to its full potential by using the body's own nervous system, and it is a step-by-step process to change the way the body feels and moves. I cannot wait to dive into all of this and learn everything she has to say about it. So with no further ado, welcome Dr. Amy Novotny. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, Barcy. It's a pleasure to be here and quite an honor. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out and wanting to be part of the show. I haven't covered anything like this yet. And I feel like it's accessible for everyone because we all have pain. We all have stress. And what you've discovered is fascinating, number one, because you discovered something on your own journey. So can't wait to hear all about that. Absolutely. And I'm excited to be here, excited to share it. Also, I want this to be able to help your listeners because it is something that in our bodies, 
we often lose a sense of awareness of what we have control over. And so if we can shift and bring that back and to learn different skills that we had forgotten or didn't even know existed, it can really help us for dealing with all different types of life events, whether they're stressful at a high level or stressful at a low level, anything. There's much that we can do that we just don't know. In other methodologies with the mind, for example, like mindset is that we have everything we need. And it sounds like this is a similar methodology for the body as well as that you, we have a lot of tools already that we can use to heal ourselves. Absolutely. And one of the most important things I remind people is we have these tools from when we were a little kid, but we often lose them because we start to follow advice of well-intentioned adults around us that help us if we follow it, we lose those skills. And it's actually quite critical. So a lot of what I do goes counterintuitive to what most people feel and have heard before, which can be a little bit jarring for people. And there's a little bit of resistance, but those who shift and follow it, they get to the other side and they feel their body transform and they, you never want to go back. You realize how good you feel and how bad you used to feel. And obviously once you shift, why go back? Wow, that sounds amazing. And I really want to dive into the journey of where we lose that and what the process is like to get back to it. But before we do, I'd love to hear more just about you. If you can share with us a little about your background, what you were doing before and how you made this discovery. Sure. So I started with a doctorate in physical therapy. I went through that schooling, graduated top of the class, you know, straight A's, really pushed the limits in that world to see how much can I learn because I didn't want to be facing a patient at any point in time and say, oops, I didn't study. I didn't know that. I didn't process it. I didn't learn it. And so I did traditional physical therapy for about five years, worked in a sports orthopedic clinic, did a lot of chronic pain, vestibular stuff with dizziness, pretty much hit the gamut of helping all different types of cases. And then I started shifting. I became a director of a different clinic and started studying how different asymmetries in our body. So we're not symmetrical side to side in our trunk. Our right hip flexors attach higher on the spine than the other side. The diaphragm is taller, stronger on the right side than the left side. And so there's just different asymmetries. So I started studying how do those asymmetries affect our movement, which then can affect the way we compensate and lead to pain. At the same time, I was also looking at how the asymmetries in your diaphragm affect you and how does your diaphragm itself get used and how can we maximize it getting used. So there was a belief that belly breathing is diaphragmatic breathing. And I, again, I go against that and say, no, it's not. It's not. Oh, yes. So as a former actor, you're going to have to break that down for me. <laughs> right. And I could definitely go through that because people are taught that for singing, for acting, for and when I work with singers and that, they get octaves that they've never hit before when we change their breathing pattern to using their diaphragm to not just pushing their belly out. Mm. I started playing with that and I was, well, I'm a marathon runner. I'm an ultra marathon runner up to hundred miles. And so putting my body through the strains of doing something at a high level, over time, you start to get aches or pains or tightness or what have you. The whole runner's world know all about it. But what I was doing was at the time, I was on the treadmill running eight miles at a seven minute mile pace. So I was trying to get it done in 56 minutes or less. And I was running fast and I started playing with my breathing mechanism, like how I breathe, how did that affect me? And when I breathed a certain way, all the tightness went away, all the aches went away, all the pain went away. And I'd get off the treadmill and feel like I never even started. 
that it just felt so free-flowing. I didn't have to stretch. I didn't have to foam roll. I didn't have to scrape all those things. Wow. Which, you know, that's exactly what I said. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What did I just do here? (laughs) So I'm going to slow you down just a touch because this is like the moment of aha. Uh When you were changing your breathing, did you do this all in one session Mm-hmm. Or were you trying different things? Okay, so one session. Right. Do you mind explaining the breathing pattern that you sure. discovered? Yes. Well, and that's actually part of how to get to your diaphragm, not belly breathing. Okay. And so as I was doing this in plane, it was literally like snap your fingers. Oh my gosh, things just went away. I mean, that quick. And so there's a process to this breathing. So I'll, I'll explain it a little bit in words, but this process can take people weeks to learn. Okay. I work with people individually for, you know, an hour session at a time to get them to shift. Okay. I am very lucky and I don't know if I've always been this way, but I'm very lucky I can sense things very quickly and I can learn once I can sense. And so basically when you think of blowing out, most of us suck our gut up and in. When you blow out, you say, okay, I need to get all the air out. I'm going to squeeze my belly button to try to push the air out. And I did the exact opposite. As I blew out, I let my chest drop down and in, let my belly button spill out, which yes, will give you a gut and doesn't look great. But what happens is you drop your ribs down, which you use, hopefully, and this is something that I work on with people. You learn how to eventually use your side abdominals to help pull your ribs down as you blow out, because then that framework gives your diaphragm walls support for the diaphragm to actually work. When you suck your gut up and in, that lifts up your ribs. So now the diaphragm walls have no support. So if you try to inhale and you push out your belly, you're just distending your abdomen instead of the diaphragm dropping down. So Uh. it's an actual physiological change in how you breathe, the mechanism of how you breathe. And you feel muscle tension, you release. I felt my bones go back to normal. So when I got off the treadmill... I didn't have the tightness. I didn't have the neurological tone in the muscles. My bones were cracked back in neutral position. I felt fine because I changed my breathing. And that way of breathing calmed the fight or flight nervous system that ramps everything up and tightens everything up. Does that commonly, just as someone who doesn't run very often, does that fight or flight kick in more so because you're running? Because you're in a situation where your heart is racing and all of that? So there's different ways that your fight or flight uh, kicks in. So it can kick in mentally, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, all different ways. And even familiar with all of those, (laughs) but when you're running, so it depends, like, let's say, so I'm a trained marathon runner. You know, if I go start running, your heart rate increases. So you're kicking in some fight or flight mode. And Mm. then what happens, then you settle into it. You can calm down. Your breathing calms down. So now you're getting out of that heightened state back down into more of kind of towards the parasympathetic relaxation. So depending on now, let's say I go sprint, I'm going to be in fight or flight mode the whole entire time. But let's say I'm going to go walk and ease into a jog. I'm not going to be kicking myself into as high of a state as possible. Now, Marcy, if you go run and you said you're not a runner, pretty much the whole entire run for you is going to be in that fight or flight state. But you can shift and learn how to bring yourself down so it's not such a state for you, if that makes sense. It does. I'm asking with a little background of my breathing Mm-hmm. tends to kick me into a panic attack, particularly in high heart rate states, like mm-hmm. running and just quick movements. 
in exercise and things like that, it's been very frustrating for me. So hearing you talk about it in this framework is kind of enlightening and inspiring to want to try something different. I would recommend it for you, especially if anything with a higher intensity exercise drives you into that panic, Mm -hmm. that tells you that your normal breathing, you're already elevated and it's already in fight or flight mode. Highly likely your rib cage is elevated and you kind of fall into the pattern that I'm describing because now moving at a faster rate where you need more oxygen pumping, you're not accessing your diaphragm. And what happens is you're likely using your rib cage. Your rib cage is lifting up when you are at a higher intensity. There is a max to how much your rib cage can lift up. If it's already at an elevated state when you're at rest, then when you go to do something where you need to get more air in, and your rib cage can't really expand as much, then you're going to feel short of breath and it's going to trigger the panic. So exactly what I'm talking about, this is something that you could shift your body, transform it, so you don't have those types of responses and your fight or flight mechanism isn't triggered every time you breathe. Wow, that's exactly how it feels, the way you described the chest, and Mm -hmm. it's exactly how it feels. So it's nice to actually hear it back to me in a physiological way. And I know my mother struggles with this and a lot of people I know who have anxiety. So I know we went on a little bit (laughs) off track, but I don't think we did because I think it's part of the story. How it all works is important. So thank you for extra explaining that. But let's go back to you on the day on the treadmill. So you had that experience. And you were like, I have no more pain. Mm -hmm. What did you do after that? I was a little bit in shock, to be honest, because I hadn't experienced something like that before. Then it became, how do I reproduce it? So can I reproduce this on myself day after day? And then how do I start teaching this and testing it on other people? And so at the time, I was considered just a traditional physical therapist, but I was starting to dive into breathing a little bit. So I had asked different patients, hey, do you mind if we try this on you? I know we've been doing these traditional things, but do you mind just doing this type of breathing? I'm going to teach it to you while I'm working on you. A lot of people said yes. Some people said no, and I respected their, you know, their answer. And the people who said yes, they got better. All of a sudden their healing timeframes just shortened. They got better. Pain went away. I mean, cases where I would see a person, I had a guy, older gentleman, he did something, he twisted or turned, could not stand up correctly because of his back. He walked into the clinic, bent over, hand on his back, and told me, I'm in excruciating pain, I can't stand up. And literally within minutes, I went through this process with him. He would try anything. And he got up and he was so excited. He kicked his leg up in the air, bent over. I mean, he was ready to do a little jig. (laughs) And it was because we calmed him down The nervous system calmed down through this breathing and repositioning your ribs. It calmed down so that the muscles let go of his bones. They repositioned back to neutral. His pain went away. He stopped pinching tissue that was causing the severe pain, which, of course, when you're in pain, you're going to tighten up even more. And it was a cycle that couldn't get broken until we got his rib cage into position, changed his breathing, and it just released everything. Oh my God, that's so powerful. And this idea of the nervous system, it's very connected to the nervous system. It sounds Mm -hmm. like the system you've created, is that the ultimate goal is to calm down the nervous system? Yes. So it's basically the lens I look through my eyes now is what is a person's nervous system doing? That fight or flight nervous system. When I meet people, and it's hard to turn off, 
but I'm always looking at what state are they in? Are they calm? Are they not calm? Are they over the edge where they've already passed that threshold of a fight or flight into, you know, even beyond. And so that's how I approach people. And that's why if you look at the common denominator in people who can't sleep, who have anxiety, stress, panic, pain, even people who are bone on bone going on for orthopedic surgery or like a disc herniation, the common denominator in all that is the fight or flight nervous system is ramped up. And so why not start there and teach people the skills that they learn how to calm themselves down? So it's not me doing it to them. It's them doing it to themselves through changing their internal wiring so that they have more control over their body again. Wow. That's such a nice succinct way of explaining it that we can understand. And it's like I said, it's so empowering to know that this is possible and that we have the tools and that it's in our breath. So I know we're virtual and you can't see my whole body, but can mm-hmm. you tell like what's going on with my nervous system as we talk? I can tell a little bit. It's a little bit hard because you have a mic right in front of your chest, but normally I would watch you. And so I can tell just from how you're sitting, you're sitting very upright. I can tell that your body's ramped up. Your shoulders aren't bad. They're down a little bit, but you use your neck muscles a lot. So I can tell that there is tension there. Your rib cage is elevated. And so I know that there's going to be that aspect of it. The other thing is for anyone who has anxiety, they may feel pressure in their chest, in their breastbone. And this sounds funny. (laughs) When you blow out, you should feel your breastbone melt in. Mm. And when people can't feel it just truly melt in as if you're getting away from your shirt or your bra, if you can't feel that, you're also in fight or flight mode based on position and based on your breathing. And so there's a lot of changes that can be made that really help you out, which to me, I'm always excited. The more we can find that we can change, the better you're going to feel. That makes sense. It's like, I would assume moving on from one problem to the next and addressing all of them as you go. Is that maybe how the process would It kind of starts that way where first we have to teach you how to change the way you breathe and the way you position your body. And that generally elicits a general overall relaxation. So I have a lot of people who fall asleep on me, whether it's in person or on Zoom. I could see that. A lot of people, (laughs) they just conk out and start snoring and I gently wake them up. (laughs) But then from there, once you learn that, then we start working on how do you move in your daily life and how do we change that so your movement pattern is not in a fight or flight pattern? And we combine that with breathing. So for instance, how you reach. Most people reach using their back. They don't realize that their shoulder blades are supposed to slide forward as they reach forward. But when you reach with your back and you keep your back rigid, that kicks in your fight or flight nervous system. So every time you reach, you're kicking in your fight or flight nervous system. Same thing for walking, same thing for squatting, bending, lifting. We go through all these things and have to work on making you aware of what you're doing, how that feels, then how to shift it, and then how to you know implement it throughout your daily activities. So some of the activities I have you doing, you may be on your back, laying down so you don't use your back and then we teach you how to use your arms and legs differently so then when we get you upright you know what that feels and so when you feel your back kick in we can be like okay we gotta now figure out how to get your back not to kick in and use your arms and legs differently so there's a true transformation a lot of people say i walk completely differently than when i started 
That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And the laying down technique makes sense to me as well. Again, coming from being an actor, you have to mind body connect often. And, and some things were taught to me lying down so you could see what a relaxed breath felt like. So that's what I relate it to in my my own like sort of experience with relaxing and learning how to breathe or move or use your body. So I have a funny question, mm-hmm. maybe. But I'm wondering, because one of your observations was that I'm very upright. I am. I tend to sit very straight up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people notice my posture. And psychologically, I'm sure that's tied into my understanding of being a woman. There's some psychology. I know there is around that for myself. So I'm curious, in your experience, have you come across like specific trends regarding like women versus men or any other trends you've noticed across groups? There are definitely. So there are cultural trends based on different cultures, because I do work with people around the world. So there are differences in cultures that are brought up, and there's also male and female differences. So a lot of times, if you have an athletic man who lifts weights, they try to lift their rib cage up and their shoulders kind of broaden out, and they hold their arms away from their body, if you think of like a weightlifter. And what happens is they try to make their rib cage almost flattened like a pancake. So they're not rounded like a cylinder anymore. They're more flattened. And so that leads to a whole host of problems. Then you have women where we're taught that a bigger chest is, you know, more appealing to the male gender. And so sometimes we're taught we don't want our chest to sag. And so we thrust our chest out, pull our shoulders back and try to make ourselves narrow. And that Mm -hmm. leads to a whole slew of problems as well, because when we do that, we really encourage the back muscles to work Mm -hmm. and that's going to kick in the fight or flight nervous system. And then if you've had any type of augmentation surgery, that's also going to throw off your mechanics too, because then you have to lean back even more to adjust for the new weight in the front of your chest. And also even this goes for both men and women. We try to suck up our gut to flatten out our stomach just for appearance sake. As soon as you do that, your belly button's your gatekeeper to your rib cage. When you suck your gut up and in, now the front of your ribs lift up. Now you're going to use your diaphragm less just mm-hmm. by default because as soon as your lower ribs and front flare up, now your diaphragm doesn't have the support it needs to effectively work. And so you can tell if you take your hands and put it on your lower ribs in front, if you feel a drop off between your ribs and your abdominal muscles, you can feel like this cliff and drop off, you know for sure your rib cage is elevated in front and you're hinging off your back. And most Mm. of us can feel that at a certain point along our ribs. So there's some definite commonalities for men versus women. And then some cultures out there, women are taught even more so to suck their gut up and in. And I've worked with different cultures. And like you know, with mindset training, it's very hard to shift people's mindset. And I have to take the culture into consideration and not say anything, not that I think any culture is bad, but say, I understand your cultural values But at the same time, we have to get you out of pain. So we have to shift you a little bit so that your body can calm down so you're not in this extreme pain. There's got to be a lot of mental breakthroughs through this process, I would think, because a lot of letting go, I imagine, needs to happen. There is, because if you think about it, if I tell you I no longer want you to suck your gut up in, never pull your shoulders back and stick out your chest, the number one thing response I hear from people is, I've been taught that by my mom and dad. I've been taught that since I was a kid by teachers, by coaches, by performing arts instructors. So 
I'm trying to rewire something that's been taught to you and told to you since you were three, four, five years old. And that is a huge mindset shift change. And when I tell you to say, hey, sit back in your chair, let your low back relax, let your tailbone curl under, let your belly come out. That is hard for anyone who's a high achieving person, type A person, or someone you know whose appearance is needed for their career. That is really hard to do and to get someone to be okay with that because their response is, I feel like a slouch. I feel like a slob. I feel like I'm not going to achieve something just based on position. 100%. It's like yeah. it works in the other way too where they teach you empowerment poses and you know things like that. If, if it works in that direction, I see how it can work in the other where we've attached a lot of things to how we present ourselves. I'm sure there's tons of worth attached to a lot of these habits that we've built in, Mm -hmm. whether it's influenced by our jobs or society or people in our lives or ourselves, you know? So I find that fascinating because it is all connected and it's interesting to hear about the body from a place that there's a choice there. There's a choice we can make of letting some of that go to gain the ability to have less pain and less stress and more comfort. Absolutely. And I think the choice gets easier when you feel the difference. I can talk till I'm blue in the face and say, this is going to help you. But it's not until I show you and have you go through that in a safe space where no one's around, no one's seeing your belly. And then when you feel that difference, that's what convinces people. Mm -hmm. Because life is hard. We have so much going on. We have so many stressors. And we're always looking for ways to get relief, to get a sense of calm, to get a sense of no pain. And when you have someone go through that process and they do it to themselves, that's powerful. That causes minds to shift because then you realize I can choose to put my body in pain, to put my body in stress, to put my body in anxiety, or I can choose not to. And I say this is a tool where you can make that choice. So let's say you're going to perform, you know, for an event. You can put yourself in fight or flight mode and have exuberant energy, feel confident, feel empowered, feel all those things that you associate with that type of body position. But then I say, as soon as you're off stage, go curl in a ball, sit on the floor, sit in a chair, put your feet up, curl in a ball as much as possible, slouch, calm down, bring yourself out of it so that You know how to come into it and you know how to go out of it. That's where you have true control. And then you can decide when to use it, when not to. Thank you for going through that process. And I think that helps put some ease towards those that maybe are, I think we're all attached in some ways Mm -hmm. to the way that we are used to existing and presenting, but putting in that framework helps me understand like, okay, you don't have to like, you know, if I were to be on stage, change the way I show up there to be the character or whatever the thing is, or present as like do a presentation, for example. It's just a, a weird sense of security. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I could still do that if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And that's the beauty of it is if you think about it, we're designed to be in relaxation mode most of our waking hours. And then when we need to, we have this system, our fight or flight nervous system that allows us to get through something that's more heightened, more traumatic, scary, fearful, or whatever it needs to be, more energetic. But then you pull yourself back down. Mm. And that's where true power comes in is how do you want to show up at an event or whatever it is for like right here. I'm sitting on the edge of the chair. I want to be more energetic, but I can shift back and I can sit back and I can calm myself down. It's really powerful when you learn how to do it. 
I love that. You mentioned trauma, and I'm wondering if you've worked with people who experience trauma and if this helps them, maybe not in a different way, but just what the experience was like for you and for them with this process. I do work with actually quite a few women with trauma. I'd say probably half my caseload is. And it didn't start out that way, but the reason I've shifted into that or people have reached out to me to help those with that is because a lot of times with trauma, and we've all had different levels of it, you have emotional and mental changes in you and the way that you handle the trauma and the way you perceive the world. What also happens is every time you think about that trauma or when you're experiencing it, when you had those emotions, they imprinted in your body. So your muscles change based on the emotion that you experienced. And it gets stored in different areas, like your breastbone. At the base of your breastbone, where your ribs come together in front, it's a huge area where people store trauma and they get locked there. The Mm. armpits is an area in the front of the hips are areas where I see people get locked when they've undergone some type of trauma. And so I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor in that sense. And so those people who I do see, they also have a counselor or psychologist as well to help them learn the mental and emotional strategies. But what we do that's separate from that is learn how to release the body from the emotions that were imprinted in them. And so often that helps them go further along with their psychologist because now they feel a freedom in their body. Their body feels free-flowing. They don't have this idea that if they let their gut go, that they're completely vulnerable and they're going to be harmed again. It's They gain control of their body during the releases. And sometimes the releases that we experience as we're going through this process, it could be crying, it could be arms moving, it could be shouting, it could be changing into a different personality. There's a lot of things that go through with us. But it's really powerful when you see someone finally get the body to let go, even though their mind or their intellect was able to get let go, you know, a long time ago. Wow. That's, there's just so much information. And I, (laughs) I love this modality of healing because it feels intuitive to me in the way that you're describing. it. I'm so interested because I can relate to it. I've had experiences where I'm like, yes, my chest is tight, or yes, I know I'm storing something here. And it's kind of validating to hear it from a scientific explanation that yes, things get stuck there. And yes, we can release them. And that can be and maybe has to be part of the process. If we are healing our mental states as well. It's like the part that maybe we don't talk about as much. So I'm really glad that you're doing this kind of work and speaking about it in such a wonderful, succinct way that's relatable and intuitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to say that and acknowledge that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I know we jumped around a little bit because this is so fascinating and it's easy for me to keep asking you questions about every little thing you say. But um, going back to when you discovered this and you were trying it out at your, I find your story interesting of Mm -hmm. how you evolved when you were working in physical therapy. Mm -hmm. You shared with in a call before we jumped on this one that wasn't received very well by the owners or the people you were working for. Mm -hmm. What was that like and how did you transition out of that? Yeah, that was hard because in traditional physical therapy settings, you rely on referrals from physicians and that's a common way that you get clients and patients. And so me introducing something that had to do with breathing and your nervous system and often used balloons or straws considered weird. 
I mean, mm. frankly, it's considered weird, woo-woo, like, what in the world are people doing? And so I got a lot of resistance. At a certain point, I was told, because balloons would sometimes pop until I figured out a way they, they wouldn't pop, I was told, you know, if, if another balloon pops, you're not doing this anymore. Or if you use any type of breathing, I was told this by different physicians, they would not be sending people to me, mm. even though it was working. They just said, if you do this, you're not going to do it. And I can't tell you how many days I went home after work in tears and just crying because it's really hard when you know something, you felt something shift in your own body and you just want to share it with everyone possible. And you want to teach them that. And there was a struggle for me also learning how to communicate this process as I was trying to figure it out and really get it out there. Because why wouldn't you want to help someone who's in agony? I mean, that's the whole reason I went into this profession is because I can't stand it when people are in pain. And so it took a while. I had to keep coming up with ideas of how to communicate to my boss and to the different doctors that had resistance. This does work. And so for a while, there would be times where I just, you know, if it was a patient from a certain doctor, I wouldn't do it. And what they would see is they would see my other patients doing it and be curious. They're like, why are they doing it? And I said, well, it's a type of breathing thing that, you know, it's okay with their doctor. And then they would say to me, well, I want to do that. I said, you know, I'm not allowed to, even though I'm an independent practitioner and my doctorate, I'm not allowed to do it because your doctor sent you to me. And they said, well, I'm going to go back to my doctor and get permission. And so they did that. And so that started shifting perspectives and a different neurologist had found out about me and found that I was able to help one client get better with a nerve injury months faster than typical healing timeframes. And that shifted things as well. So it took some time. It took a year or so to actually get a shift in mindset. And it was hard. How did you find the strength to stick with it and not just say, you know what, this is not worth all the effort and pain? I'll tell you it was hard. It was extremely hard. And I think it was, there was a couple cases, right? A older lady, she's in her seventies. She was a psychologist at a time now retired where she was scheduled for a knee replacement. Mm -hmm. And she had done injections three times a year. She had been doing daily anti-inflammatory tablets, you know, NSAIDs, whatever, ibuprofen for years. And she came and gave me a chance. And she said, you know, I want to give you this a chance. I'm scheduled for surgery in a couple months anyway, so might as well try this. And she did. And after the first visit, she came back. She said, I don't have any pain. Like, how quickly is this supposed to work? I said, it can work pretty quickly. You know, some people don't have pain right away. Some people, it takes a little bit longer, but it can happen really quickly. And within two weeks, she canceled her surgery. And this was back in 2016. And so every time that I had resistance, I'm like, okay, I know this works. This isn't woo-woo. I can do this. I can push through. And she actually helped me, that psychologist, she actually helped me become more well-known because um, she's a photographer as well and traveled around the world. And she told a world famous photographer about me. And then he came, flew in from Florida to come visit me to get this type of treatment. And it got rid of his pain. And he actually hired me to travel around the world to make sure he didn't have any issues when he had to go to Antarctica to photograph penguins. And so that's actually... I gave up my whole entire life to go do that. And then when I came back, I decided to do this as a true business on my own. So I didn't have to worry about the resistance I would face from not being status quo. And I turned it into a process. So I don't do physical therapy anymore. I do this. And that's how I kind of overcame a lot of resistance. Seems like you had a lot of just moments of successes that would show up (laughs) at the right time. 
I was lucky and many, many times, you know, it's a lot of hard work and I don't always tell the bad stuff, but there are many, many times I'm very grateful for. I'm so glad you shared that because it's hard to know sometimes how these journeys happen and we think like, oh, they figured something out and they have everything figured out. It's a journey and it takes time and it's not easy, especially something like what you've come upon to try to teach people that it's valid is not an easy thing. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. And I, I hope it helps people. And I hope they realize there is a lot of struggle to achieve some success sometimes. And being around supportive people who can keep boosting you up and giving you hugs, that always helps as well. Yes, yes, yes. That's a, good, that's a really good point. If there was anything that you really want the listener to understand from today's conversation, if there was one takeaway, what would that be? I would say check in with yourself throughout the day. See how much you're holding your breath. See how much you're clenching your stomach up and in. If you can notice those two things, you'll start to shift your body. Let your belly button out. Let your ribs drop down, let your belly out. And say ribs down, belly out. Just keep repeating that throughout your day. Become, let that become a mantra for you. Because if you can start to shift the way you breathe and the way you hold yourself, you'll start to feel the health benefits, the personality benefits, the mood benefits, all of it. Thank you. That's a nice, it's something everyone can take with them and try. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Absolutely. So how can we connect with you? Wonderful. I am on social media. You can look up Dr. Amy Novotny, but I like to reach out to people or like other people reach out to me. You can connect with me through email, amy at paberinstitute.com. I do free 15 minute consults. If people just want to tell me a little bit, if they need free resources, I'll send them those if they don't want to work one-on-one. So I just like to connect and hear from people. So that's the best way. Wonderful. I'll put all of that in the show notes so that people can easily access you. And just thank you again for sharing in such detail how this works, how you came upon it and the journey you went on to make sure we could all heal and learn with you. Thank you so much for having me, Barcy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Will Begin. Make sure to catch our Thursday Small Shifts episodes for five-minute self-reflective small questions that follow a theme in a guided meditation style. Also be sure to click the follow button or check mark for Be Will Begin on your favorite podcast app to add it to your library so each episode downloads automatically. And if you'd like to stay connected for workshops and all Beeble Begin offers and get a free guide to working with fear and imposter syndrome, you can go to fearimposter.avanthousemedia.com or click the link in the show notes. Stay safe and keep creating.